complex narratives of being taken by alien beings into UFOs on beams of light. The Air Force is trying to cover up with a picture of Venus and the moon. From my own point of view, I'm going to be very disappointed if UFOs turn out to be nothing more than visitors from another planet, because I think there could be something much more interesting. I'm not telling you. The United States government is telling you that. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the channel. It has been a crazy few days for the UFO subject with the report dropping and, you know, it's been talked about on all the other channels. So I feel like I'm playing catch up to those guys. But, you know, I did want to come on and cover it. And I've brought two awesome guests with me who I'll bring on in one second. Uh, just the usual house rules. If you could keep the chat nice and cool, calm and collected, I would really appreciate that. It's OK to have differences of opinion. We all kind of... Uh, take different things from this report if anything at all because it wasn't exactly uh brimming with information but we'll we'll try and break it down as best we can from our different perspectives um i also have an exclusive quote from lou elizondo i was lucky enough to have a chat with lou about three hours ago about the report so lou's provided me with a short statement which is always interesting to to hear that point of view so yeah any questions that you guys have throughout, please pop them in capital letters um, and they'll, we'll try and get to them at some point. If they're relevant to that particular moment, I will try my best to uh, read them there and then. If not, we'll get to them towards the end of the discussion. So let's start this off by bringing in my guests. First up, I'd like to welcome Katie Howland. Katie, how are you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me, Vinny. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much. Uh, I always value your your input when we're talking about this aspect of the phenomena and others, of course. But yeah, I really do appreciate you being here. Uh, and next up, uh, we have my good friend, Mr. Christopher Sharp. Chris, welcome back. Hey, brother. Such a delight being here with you and Katie. I admire you both so much, not only as just like people who are so well versed in this topic, but as just fantastic friends and human beings, really. So thank you. Thank you so much. So that's really kind of you to say. Um, and yeah, it wasn't that long ago you were here discussing the discussing the NDAA. So it, it's nice to have you back to to kind of go over this report. And uh, Katie, with your experience on the Hill and things like that, I think it really is uh, really informative having you here to kind of weigh in on what we can kind of pull out of this report. Um, so yeah, I guess we should just jump into it. We'll kind of go through it. We won't read it word for word. So if I do scroll past anything that you think was important, please let me know. And yeah, let's let's get to it. I, it, it was quite, I, I remember when I first opened the page and refreshed it and it was there, I was just like, oh, here we go. So uh, yeah, let's let's get into it. So obviously we have the table of contents. Let's skip that. The executive summary, I mean, it kind of, to me, it was great to see that the number of cases had jumped up to 510. I mean, my initial thoughts were, it, I'd imagined that the the reporting processes have given us these uh, new numbers because, am I, do you think I'm right in saying that the stigma is slightly starting to drop with regards to aviators and military personnel coming forward? 
You go first, Katie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it obviously is because we're seeing such an increase in the reports. Uh, and I think we have to realize that this increase in reports came in a relatively short amount of time. I mean, it's one thing for us who are constantly looking at this to go, oh, well, only a couple hundred more, you know, um, but that's that's huge in this short amount of time. Um, I also think that, you know, we're going to see a rapid increase just as public education on the topic um, happens, because I think a lot of folks are just used to the status quo of not reporting, not talking about it. Um, but as it's more in the news, you've seen a lot of media coverage lately, I think we're going to see those numbers skyrocket. Um, I'm an epidemiologist by background, and one of the first things they teach you is just because you see an increase in reports doesn't mean there's an increase in the actual sightings, right? A lot of times, sure. better identification, better definition, um, less stigma. And I think that's definitely what we're seeing here. Yeah, Chris, what do you think? Yes, yes, definitely. Um, it's going away. What they're trying to focus on now is submariners, which is something which is made clear in the roundtable discussion we had with Moultrie and Kirkpatrick. And that's a really big thing in terms of the um, the definition and identified anomalous uh, phenomena. Um, so it doesn't have that um, aerial connotation anymore. So that's really what they're keen on now is breaking through that dam, which is the um, submariners. Yeah. And do you think it's important to clarify that this uh, this was mandated by Congress for the fiscal year 2022 NDAA? So we have seen new language, you know, signed into law back uh, around Christmas time, but that's not relevant to this as such. Am I right in, in sort of saying that? I mean, I think what you saw in the 2023 NDAA was less focused on um, definitions, right, other than the terminology, terminology shift from to unidentified anomalous phenomena. So I don't think that's going to affect the number of reports. Um, okay. More going to affect the whistleblower um, side of things and the industry reports of NDAs and that kind of thing. So I wouldn't expect this year's NDAA to dramatically um, affect the number of reports we're getting in here. Okay. Would be yeah. my and did, did anyone, I mean, it was interesting to see NIM Aviation for me personally. When that, when I saw that in that page, I was like, okay, because, you know, we, we saw that debacle with the logo uh, last year. Like, any thoughts mm -hmm. on that at all? <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, that's very, very interesting, that is. Um, I mean, um, I, I don't know how much I can really say about this, but um, sorry, it's a journalist problem. But um, yeah, I think they played a really big part of the report, let's say. But um, I just like to point out that I was just looking at it over again. I can't see the DOE in there anywhere. So the report was to actually look into kind of like incidents relating to nuclear assets as well, um, which was within the NDAA 2022. Um, so that, that's really interesting. So was that the DOE not cooperating to some extent? I mean, that'd be interesting to find out. Well, I think you meant, you may have mentioned before, Katie, that, um, maybe it's just the case that this information is so sensitive. It may have not been within the unclassified version regardless, but, um, yeah, that's an interesting question to ponder. Yeah, I think we're talking about, I think, what in the appendix, it talks about sections, I think it's like M, N, and O, perhaps, that have to do with uh, nuclear 
technology or facilities. And absolutely, I, I, I fully expect that none of that will ever be in an unclassified setting. And frankly, I don't think it should be. It's just such a sensitive topic. Um, but I would be very, very shocked to see uh, members of Congress talk about this report so positively if it had been straight up ignored in the classified version. So that's kind of what I was paying attention to. And most members of Congress, uh, Tim Burchett aside, seemed pretty, uh, pretty pleased, at least preliminarily with the report. Yeah, and we do see on this next page that it does state that the report was drafted by NIM Aviation in conjunction with Arrow. But then in that list of all the different agencies below, we do see the DOE listed in there, which is interesting. But does it seem to you in any way that we're seeing more collaboration and good efforts between all the sort of uh, interagencies and the, the military branches coming together a little bit better than they were maybe for the preliminary assessment back in 21? Uh, yeah, I, I think the agencies are working closer together now and all the different offices and whatnot. Um, I think uh, I think you're going to see um, other agencies, let's say, take an active interest in this, whether that just leaks out or if it's made public by that, um, by that agency or branch of the military, like Space Force, for example. I think we now know that Space Force is looking into UAP. Um, that's why Lou was working there, and um, that continues. So um, hopefully we see more kind of like entering into the sphere. Um, and we've got NASA as well looking into it as well. Um, I think FAA is uh, being played by so many reports at the moment as well about um, encountering um, strange things in the sky, um, which according to some pilots have you know, gone up dramatically within this past year. I mean, some of that may be attributable to um, Starlink, I think it is. Um, but there are some cases which you think, well, that doesn't really look like <laughs> um, Elon Musk satellites. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I particularly zoomed into ODNI, NIM, Emerging and Disruptive Technology. I thought that was a very interesting um, uh, office or, or subcomponent of NIM, uh, just because I know for a fact that DOD set up a new office in the last two years. Oh, God, I'm, I'm going to kill myself. I don't remember uh, the exact uh, name of it, but it's something very similar to Emerging and Disruptive Technology. I'm not saying that it, that's a UAP office, um, but I think it's interesting to see it situated within that uh, sub-function. I think it's uh, relevant. It kind of harkens back to, I think, the um, the foreign technology offices that we hear a lot about in, um, you know, like the Corso narratives and things sure. like that. Regardless of whether or not that's true, I don't know. Um, but that definitely piqued my interest a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And already in these first few pages, we're seeing um, ODNI mentioned a lot, and there's a, there's a lack of OUSDI, which was uh, something that I know, Chris, you were concerned about, and I was a little bit, the way that the office was sat under them. So what, what do we think so far with, with, with respect to that? Do you think it's better now that it seems to be ODNI that's kind of overseeing it? If I'm using the right words, I don't know if I am exactly. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so firstly, sorry, DOE was mentioned. I was looking, I, I, I'm yeah. looking at the differences between 2021 report and 2022. <laughs> sorry, sorry, I was getting mixed up between them. Um, so ODNI, yeah, so they published the um, 2021 report as well. So what basically happens is that the, 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 the data gets given by um, 
the office being Arrow in, in this case, it was UAPTF back then, um, to the ODNI. And the ODNI just coordinate all this stuff, basically. Right. And they, um, they also consult with other um, agencies and offices as well, just to ensure that it's all correct and they're not, not publishing anything they shouldn't do. And they're all coordinating with each other when they do this. But um, there's also a process as well. I mean, um, even though the report has only just been given to Congress, that there is an ongoing process whereby um, the legislative affairs section of ODNI is liaising with um, with Congress and, and staffers just to ensure that it matches the, the the product, as they call it, matches the intent as per the National Defense Authorization Act. Yeah, and I think just to add on to that, one of the interesting things is when you're looking at the scope and assumptions page and you look at all of the various offices that are listed, I think the longer you have that paragraph, the less input, the more sanitized this report is going to be because you have to realize there are going to be people in each office who may not be editing the final report but have a say and have um ideas about what should be said and shouldn't be said. And so I think uh, we'll talk about, you know, Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick's slides later, but I think what's really interesting is looking at the big difference between the two. And I think a lot of that can really come down to the sheer volume of uh, folks and offices that have input into this report. Yeah, absolutely. That, that, that is really interesting to have kind of both things almost release a day after one another to then be able to compare the two to see the differences it was it, it spoke volumes to to some people uh, just sticking with this page I, I found that assumptions fairly interesting at the bottom saying you know that multiple factors affect the observation and detection and um, but then they're going you know obviously under the assumption that you're getting clear statements from these witnesses you know they're actually telling what they saw accurately but then the assumptions that all the sensor systems are, are working properly as well and i mean it makes me smile because you you would just have to assume that this is like multi-billion dollar equipment that they're talking about <laughs> i mean how often does it actually fail it's it's I, I just find it really interesting that they word things in certain ways yeah well, well look when when i went to the round table I asked, you know, if um, they had seen anything. So I'm just looking at the question right now. Yeah, I um, I said, have you detected UAP demonstrating technology, which you were unable to explain? Kirkpatrick started going into that, saying, yeah, there are some interesting dynamics there with flights. And then Moultrie butt in, basically <laughs> saying, but Sean, is that partly, that, that that's something to do with um, sensor phenomenology, sir? And then Kirkpatrick just <laughs> went in that direction, which is quite funny because that's try that they're trying to gloss it over in the words of the ODNI source that spoke to my colleague in October, um, Josh Boswell. Um, so they're trying to gloss it over. And also, like if you go on to uh, page number five, sorry, if, if you go forward on that, it's kind of got contradicted because it set, states on there continued reporting and robust analysis are providing better fidelity on UAP events but many cases remain unresolved. So. Yeah, I found that really strange. And, you know, we can go back to page four in a minute, but we're talking about the characterizations of all these different possible things. And then they have to caveat it by saying initial characterization does not mean positively resolved. It's like, well, what have you done? What have you actually confirmed? Like, what, what are you doing? What are you saying here? I can't kind of grasp that really. Honestly, it, it comes down to understanding the federal government. They are never going to definitively say anything. 
unless they are 100% sure. And so you're going to see these, these caveats layered on caveats um, because the last thing they want to do is say, oh yeah, 163 were characterized as balloons and then have one turn out to be something else. And then, you know, the media pounces on it. So I really think what you're seeing here is a lot of covering your butt and uh, hoping that, you know, they will not have to worry about ever being incorrect about anything. Yeah. Look right here, I've got a balloon-like entity. <laughs> yeah, what in the world is a balloon-like entity? Can we just address that one for a second? Like, I understand what a balloon is. A balloon-like entity, not so much. I mean, entity does scream like biological. It, to, to me, it, it would. That's the first thing I'd think of, you know. Um, it, it's just bizarre, isn't it? What I imagine is those like wacky inflatable tube guys. <laughs> we're just seeing those in the sky. That's yeah, that's just incredible, isn't it, to see that. But before we dig any deeper on this, let's just jump back to page four. So we've got here the it's basically the establishment of Arrow talking about the multi-agency collaborations and stuff. Uh yeah, I don't think there's much there that we can't can really dig deep into. I suppose Nimit Aviation will remain the intelligence community's focal point for the UAP issue, while Arrow is the DOD focal point for these issues and related activities. So it does seem that Nim Aviation is right in there dealing with the, the IC side of things. Does that surprise anyone at all? Or is there anything you can glean from that? No, I mean, I just assume that within the ODNI, that's the office that got tasked with kind of taking the helm on here. Because, I mean, you have to realize ODNI is huge. So sure. saying that ODNI is going to be handling this is incredibly vague. So I don't, I don't think that's remarkable. I do think it makes the logo fascinating, and oh, yeah. I do think it makes those patches a lot extra valuable. <laughs> I, I agree completely. Chris, is there anything you can glean from this page in particular that you think is worth uh, pointing out uh, on this particular page? Um, there's wording sorry to interrupt but just looking there the, the broad scope of authority granted to arrow things like that it's you know it's just interesting go on sorry i interrupted no no i think um i i think this one i mean it speaks for itself really i mean nim aviation yeah that that's interesting. <laughs> uh, I can't really say a lot more about that. But <laughs> really interesting, let's say. Um, uh, yeah. So um, yeah, I mean, there's nothing else I can really say um, on that. To be fair, but there's a lot of technicalities on there. Um, so yeah. That, yeah, I think you're right. I think that that's it. Um, there was one other thing that jumped out on this page to me, real quick, before we yep. move on. Um, when you see in the first paragraph, Arrow will coordinate with other non-IC agencies, including non-IC elements of DHS. That stood out to me. Um, I think what they're saying there, because I believe, I could be wrong, I believe FBI is considered IC, um, so it would fall under ODNI, so they're not talking about FBI here. I think what they're talking about is like Customs and Border Protection, which stood out to me because we're seeing lots of reports along the border. Yeah. Um, so that that definitely stood out to me, and I think that's something interesting to pay attention to. Yeah, that's definitely interesting. Yeah, well, if you want to, if they want to talk about the border, I mean, if you think about it, like two thousand four Nimitz encounter, that was kind of like close to the border as well in terms of that area. So um, I think that's quite interesting. Yeah, absolutely. 
Maybe I'm right. biased as a San Diegan looking at border stuff, but. <laughs> Well, we have had reports of a lot, a lot of things across the South American border as well, Mexico and things like that. So it's certainly worth bearing in mind. And I think that was really interesting that I wouldn't have been able to break it down like that. So I find it intriguing in the least. So anything on this page? And obviously we've got the the numbers here. And I think like we already mentioned, it was interesting to see these higher numbers. It was good. And Chris, this was something that, you, that was reported on by yourself and Josh back in October. And the numbers turned out to be pretty much the same as what you reported on like back then which then makes me think that other things that were featured in that story may also hold a lot of weight such as you know there was that one incident in the middle east with the reaper drones and the orbs and that that part we you know there was nothing like that featured in this report so that to me then puts a lot of weight on that particular case for example that these things are being reported and picked up so how you know do you want to speak to that Absolutely. I mean, I can't take credit for that. Josh, Josh got all that. That really surprised me because we were trying to find sources basically to tell us stuff and give us the inside story. I didn't hear from Josh for a while and it just came from nowhere. I was like, bloody hell, where did that come from? Because I've not really <laughs> known anyone to get like an ODNI source like that to speak out. But I think it was in answer to um, Barnes's article, basically. And I think the source himself said, look, they're trying to cross things over here. And the source said, you know, there's S H I T loads of classified videos that are pretty profound, pretty clear. They don't want to talk about this stuff because they really, really don't know what the hell they are. And that's the truth. Uh, and you've got things like he explains here, you know, that um, object diving into the ocean without making a splash. Um, and that's really interesting because if that's true, and we've seen the Corbell video of that thing going under the water, without apparent splash, although the crew does say it because that's a terminology used by the Navy saying it's going underwater. But that contradicts what Moultrie said at the media roundtable because he basically said that we hadn't seen any transmedium um, activity or transmedium objects um, or any credible reporting anyhow. So, I mean, there's all these qualifiers, you know, that they're using. Any credible reporting, not any reporting. So... Yeah, I mean, they've got to be really careful now, these people do, because, you know, the new NDAA does make it clear that they're going to be looking at all the times when government officials have misled um, the public when it comes to this topic. So um, I would count that as kind of misleading, because even though they're careful with their statements, the media just tends to run with them without looking at the nuances. And the same goes to this report as well, which we'll get on to later. I think that you brought up a really good point, Chris, and this is something I was on a foreign policy podcast a couple of days ago, and that was something I brought up is that I think a lot of the media journalists who should know better, who should be digging in piece by piece in these reports, they do, they, they zero in on those little comments and they don't look at what actually is backing it up because a lot of times it's very, very different. Or, you know, people who are capable of reporting on very nuanced public policy for some reason are incapable of reporting on nuance in this topic. And that's why, you know, I, I, I said uh, earlier this week, print out the report, read it yourself, go line by line, because oftentimes a single word is important um, in the overall view of it. 
Yeah, I completely agree. And a lot of people were instantly saying, well, it's a nothing burger. There's no decent information. And mm. I totally disagree. And then people would say, yeah, but you're just clutching at straws. You know, you're, you're naive to think that there's anything in here. And again, I disagree. It's very difficult, isn't it? When, when you know, lack of information is also information. Yeah, I, I mean, it just points to certain things that you, you going forward, you know, yeah, this isn't a bombshell and it never was going to be. You know, this is clearly laying out procedures and and things like that moving forward for Arrow and the, the scope of what they're going to do. And uh, and I found that great. Um, and just talking about, Chris, you mentioned there that there were obviously videos and things that were analyzed and looked at. And we see the line saying that some UAP appear to have demonstrated unusual flight characteristics or performance mm -hmm. capabilities and require further analysis. I mean, that's a big line for me personally, because it shows that they are looking at something bizarre that is the key that is the key line to me and they they don't they, they don't expand upon that at least in the preliminary report that was released in 2021 they did talk about some of those capabilities um but they don't they don't do it in this one so they're trying to close the shop when it comes to expanding more on this which is why i found some of the things that occurred recently with John Radcliffe basically saying, look, <laughs> this is like against the law of physics, the, the things that these things are, these objects are doing. So um, I think there's going to be major pushback by them trying to control this narrative and trying to gloss over, as that ODNI source said, some of the insane things that they've actually been able to capture. So that that's really, really important. And that is the one thing that I tried to push on when I actually spoke to Kirkpatrick and Moultrie. And they need to be more... They need to be more open about this, I think, frankly. Do you think that they can do that without divulging sources and methods, though? Yeah, I, I think they can. Look, they, they've they recently... I mean, you look all the time. I mean, whether it's the MOD or the US military, they'll release videos when they want, when they want to send out a message about Russian aggression, um, showing, you know, Russian jets stalking their own aircraft and... Mm. Uh, other adverse adversary um, actions taken when it when it suits them, you know, and 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 recently as, as well with the Ukraine situation, they've been a lot more open in terms of what they can share publicly in terms of their intelligence. So they can go that little bit further if they if they want to, but for some reason they're not, and I think that's going to cause problems going forward. And people aren't going to trust them because there is a lack of transparency. Um, regarding this process, and it, it's it's not good. And the key question is, you know, um, what is this unusual? What are these unusual flight characteristics, performance capabilities? And do you believe that any foreign nations or adversaries are capable of this capability or technology? That's the key question. Well, and I I think it's important to remember two things on this. One is that. The US government is never going to share information just for the heck of it. You know what I mean? It They're going to share information when there's a strategic advantage to do so. So for example, one of the things I saw in here was actually, no, I'm sorry, this was in the Kirkpatrick slides, concern over um, whether or not our, our allies or adversaries might misattribute a UAP to US tech, which could be very provocative, right? And so I think there we need to realize that there may be times when we share information, not because we care about disclosure, 
um, but because we want to make something very clear that, hey, we weren't buzzing your nuclear facilities, <laughs> you know, like, like, don't don't go to war with us about this. Um, so that's number one. And number two is something that I completely forgot. And it just left my brain. Don't worry. Chime in if it comes back into your head. <laughs> don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> I suppose the other thing that jumped out to me on here was that they're saying that the majority of the new cases came from the, both the Air Force and the Navy. And then obviously in the pre preliminary mm -hmm. preliminary assessment, there was a certain lack of the Air Force involvement. So, you know, I think we've been crying out for that, but I, I'm not convinced 100% that it's just all of a sudden they're just talking and collaborating. Any thoughts on that? I want to know ahead. where Space Force is. True. That's a great question. Yeah, good point. That's what I thought. I thought. I mean, I, I can't speak to Air Force. Um, yeah, I, I highly doubt that suddenly after 70 years, they're just perfectly um, compliant. Uh, but yeah, uh, we're missing a couple branches there. I, I, maybe maybe Marines have seen something. I don't know. Um, but I would like to... I would like to see something from the Space Force, especially considering there might be some very intelligent people working for Space Force on this topic. So I'm very curious about that. Yeah, absolutely. Chris, any yeah. thoughts on the Air Force? So on Space Force, firstly, yeah, multiple sure. people told me that Space Force are studying this. And this is why Louis Elizondo was was working there as well, from my understanding that there, there is an ongoing effort with Space Force. So I just don't know when they're going to publicly acknowledge that. Um, but we'll, ha we'll have to see. Um, in terms of the US Air Force, yeah, so it, it confirmed to me that it did not extend its pilot program um, to look into UAP hotspot. Like, a, a, I think it was like a particular UAP hotspot. So um, that was interesting. So <laughs> I, I don't understand where the Air Force is at at the moment currently um, in terms of this, because I don't know, from my understanding, the stigma is still attached to the topic within the Air Force. So I don't know how many new cases they're going to get reported um, as compared with the US Navy, Navy, which is doing more to help erase the stigma. So I, I mean... It's definitely an interesting situation, but from my understanding, um, when the UAPTF was getting started, it looked like the um, US Air Force was going to start um, cooperating with them and working together with them. But then all of a sudden, they just uh, did a complete U-turn and mm. didn't want to do with the UAP topic again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, now, just this last bit at the bottom of the page, this partnerships and collaboration, it was good to see the FAA and NASA mentioned. Mm -hmm. But I found it interesting where they said that ARA is working closely with OSDPA and mission partners to develop information sharing and messaging strategy that aims to maximize transparency. I mean, okay, if you say so, while <laughs> maintaining appropriate protections of sensitive sources and methods. Okay, that I did like to see that word transparency in there, but at least give us something with it. It's you easy know. to type that in a report. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry. I call bullshit. It's the, the, the public affairs office. Their goal isn't to be transparent. Their goal is <laughs> to manage the message. Uh, so I think that's just a cut and paste uh, communication strategy thing that you could probably find in many DOD reports. Cool. Good to hear that from you. Yeah, uh, uh, that makes sense, I suppose. And then page six. Uh... It mentions the first time here about communication with allied partners re regarding UAP. Now, we've not really heard that much. We did hear a bit out of Canada towards kind of, well, last year, there was a few conversations we know that had. And I think, am I right in saying that 
there were briefings held between, I don't think it was Kirkpatrick. It might have been someone before him. Do you know about that, Chris, at all? Can you confirm that? And I'm sure there was a briefing between whoever was running the UFO, sorry, the UAP office last year. It might have been AIMSOG. I'm not sure. Chris, do you know anything about that? Yeah, from my understanding, I think it was, um, it's, uh, to, yeah, it was reported that there had been a briefing, briefing um, that took place with Canada's um, MOD on, on the topic, mm. uh, from my understanding. And that was confirmed by Susan Goff as well. Um, so, so that has taken place. I mean, this is a really, really, really vital question in terms of, well, topic, let's say, in terms of collaborating with allies and partners is so mm -hmm. vital because, I mean, just keep that thought in your head. But let's just say there's so many theatres within the past 20 years that the US and its partners and allies have been operating joint kind of like um <laughs> joint operations let's say and then obviously we had the five eyes alliance as well where information I was just about to say that mm -hmm. yeah, yeah i would expect i would expect that it would be five eyes exclusively at this point um at least formally speaking i'm sure there are small side conversations that happen um but and for those of you who aren't familiar with five eyes it's basically the closest um uh information and intelligence sharing agreement we have it it's it's for the five basically Eng majority english speaking countries us uk canada new zealand australia i'm not missing yeah it's fine no, that's right? it yeah no that's it. Yeah. that's it um so that's what you would expect is that most of the intelligence will be shared with those countries that we have our closest relationship with in terms of intelligence yeah and when we you know after we we mentioned Canada, but then, you know, you look to the UK and there's no conversation happening here whatsoever. New Zealand, again, very quiet. I mean, in Australia, it's been good to see Senator Peter Wish Wilson kind of pushing uh, the conversation out there. He's not got a lot out of them, but it's good to see someone in, um, you know, with his authority trying to have the conversation. And I think we need that more here in the UK, uh, well, everywhere. But, you know, at least they've got something, someone doing positive stuff in Australia. So... Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, then finally on here, we're talking about the flight safety concerns, which I think are obvious to anybody who's been following this subject now and, and heard of uh, the work that Ryan Graves has been doing on that that aspect of uh, UAP. But then this bit at the bottom where, the, you know, there have been no encounters confirmed to contribute directly to adverse health-related effects, um, which, okay, I mean, the, a lot of these cases were just from the year, but... To, I mean, I found that still very surprising. Yeah. <laughs> Chris, I'll let you go first. Yeah, yeah. So the key word being here, like, another qualifier, direct. <laughs> um, and confirmed. Exactly, and confirmed. Um, it's, yeah, it's very, very, it's meant to be like that. It's it's phrased like that for a good reason. But, I mean, I think Lou Elizondo um, suggested that health implications were that um pilots or aviators naval aviators would be up in the sky um there would be lost time events so where they would um they would like lose a, a minute or something in the sky and they would know where that time went um and it would be because i think it would be like okay i burnt through no, it's one minute forward, but I burnt. I haven't burnt through that much fuel, or something like that. Some discrepancy between the time and the fuel that they have burnt. 
and that led some naval aviators to believe that they had lost track of time and then there was um there was um i think radiation burns as well that was reported by some naval naval aviators um which they think related to um in, to to incidents involving uap um and possible microwave damage as well so i think those would be the things um that could be health implications from uap um yeah it's very interestingly worded definitely it's <laughs> it's something to look out for in the future and i'm hoping that as more progress is being is being made on this topic and arrow gets its act together that we can get some more definitive conclusions on this absolutely and you know i i think those two words are what stuck out to me as well um putting my epidemiologist hat on though i also I was a little irritated because what we really need is we need epidemiologists to study this for decades because what we see a lot of times are the type of exposures that uh, UAP experiencers have are typically in the radiation um, uh, symptomology and we know for a fact well we know based on anecdotes that uh, experiencers have high amounts of autoimmune and cancer clustering these are changes that happen over years, decades even. And so I think what we need to do is really make sure that for folks who are having um, these encounters, we're following their records um, for a while. And that's not a cheap thing to do, and it probably won't happen. But if we're really serious about looking into this, that's what we would look at. Um, because it's just impossible to say at the exact time whether or not there was any impact to human health. There's a lot of uh, cellular changes that could happen that we're not going to see immediately. It's really important as well for pilots, naval aviators and their families to understand what they're getting into when they sign up to, to serve their country, I, I feel. Um, you know, you look back on decades ago when the nuclear tests were being carried out and now you've got lots of um, people who took part in those tests and they've got horrible diseases from it. Um, and at the time, the risks weren't made clear, and, and that's seen as a scandal. And I think that we could potentially see something similar if it is found conclusive that there are health-related impacts from UAP. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate Agreed. you both talking about that. I mean, we only have to look at what happened with John Burroughs following Rendlesham, the amount of years and decades he had trying to get his medical records and some kind of reimbursement through, you know, as a veteran. So. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how that develops in any more future reports and the work that Arrow are doing. So, yeah. Uh, so moving on to the summary here, I mean, the first line stating about the hazard to flight safety. I like how they put a pose, pose a possible adversary collection threat because people still see that word threat and they still don't understand that we're not talking about an alien invasion here. We're still talking about defense uh, and the de Department of Defense doing their job by, you know, you can't just assume that these things, they're not a threat. We're the threat to humanity. You know, we've got to get past that. So that's good to see that it was defined a bit better. Um, but they're saying as well that, you know, the reporting is due to the, de de the because the effort's trying to destigmatize the topic. Okay, that's good to hear as well. Um, yeah, if any of you guys can pull anything out of there that you think is worth mentioning. Uh, I see at the bottom the coordinated coordinated efforts. It does, from the the wording in the last paragraph, sound like 
they're starting to identify the solutions going forward, the procedures and processes. It doesn't sound like they are, you know, established in any way. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see come the end of June, I believe, when we are likely to get another report. Penny, are you expecting the federal government to work quickly? Because I got news for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I just real quick, you pointed out the posing the possible adversary collection threat. I don't know exactly what was meant by that, but I would say that I, I, I kind of inferred that perhaps they're concerned about our adversaries getting their hands on this technology and the technological disadvantage that would put us at. Um, not a not a happy thing to think about, um, but that is definitely what puts my ear up. I think is what I got from that, the possible adversary collection is, could these, could they be dis thinking about drones over nuclear facilities, collecting data on our That's systems true. and capabilities, maybe? That too. Absolutely. Interesting how it can be looked at differently. They love this vague don't... language, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> Chris, anything you kind of glean from that at all? Yeah, yeah. I would like to think that China or Russia hasn't consistently and constantly throughout the past, maybe perhaps 10 years and going on to this day, probably still um, on the East Coast, been sending drones or balloons, whatever, on the East Coast to spy on um, US Navy, naval aviators conducting, um, conducting training missions. And I'd like to think that that hasn't been happening so long and that still, despite all this and despite Ryan Graves coming out in 60 minutes, that this is continuing to happen despite it being adversary, you know, ad adversaries perhaps spying on us. I mean, to think that something wouldn't have been done by now if it was just simple, you know, balloons or drones um, doing that. And um, to my knowledge, um, from, from what's being made public, naval aviators aren't aware that it's Chinese or Russian as well. So, yeah, that's really important. I think, you know, as well, I'd like to say that I was discussing, it was a very, very bright person the other day about this other angle that China and other nations may, may be looking into um, their own kind of like crash retrievals, let's say, if, if any other countries have alleged craft, then that is definitely a threat. Uh, because, I mean, whoever gets this technology first kind of like rules the world, basically. And China, for instance, has the world's largest UFO organization. It's like one million, over one million members. And each one of them has to have like a degree and have a written paper. So these are highly qualified people. And the stigma is not as big in China. They just want to look at the data and look at the raw facts. And also in China as well. And um, I guess not so much Russia, <laughs> considering what's happened in the intelligence front. But in, in China, they're able to keep things very, very tight in terms of secrecy as well. So you could possibly have a huge number of people looking into possible um, craft <laughs> and studying it and that kind of being kept um locked tight and if that is true that there are you know craft of possible alien origin and the us and other nations have that have these craft um then china perhaps has a real real um edge on everyone else 
Yeah, I, I you're completely right, Chris. And I, I think one of the biggest arguments against um, the majority of these reports being Russian tech is the Ukraine war, first of all. Uh, if you can't get a, a tank across a creek, then I highly doubt you're shooting down UFOs and have your own technology. Um, you know, I, I'm a little more cautious on this. I think that, look, we're, we're, there's bound to be some Chinese drones I, I, in, within, within these reports. There really are. Um, they're rapidly expanding their technological capabilities, um, especially on the West Coast. I would not be shocked. But they, like you said, they have this huge, this huge organization. They have um, a clear interest in this topic. So they wouldn't be investigating this topic if it was all of them. And so I think it's, we have to be very careful to recognize that, look, some of these are bound to be a drone here or there. That's okay. We expect that. Um, but arguing that all of this can be explained by foreign adversary tech or black tech, maybe one or two sightings are, maybe there's one class of sighting that is uh, black tech. That doesn't mean that all of it can be explained in that way. Um, but yeah, I personally am very concerned about the Chinese government and how they are, are looking at this topic. I think it's probably our biggest threat at the moment in terms of the UAP discussion. And I, I, I think what we are really seeing is a huge imbalance in stigma because of the Robertson's panel. Right. Um, a lot of other countries that didn't have those efforts to intentionally destigmatize or intentionally stigmatize the topic don't have the same hangups that we have in the US. And it's really going to harm our national security. So we've got to put our pedals to the metal on this um, or we're going to be outmaneuvered. Yeah, well said. I completely agree on that. Um, just looking here at page eight, I believe that was just what was laid out in the NDAA for fiscal year 2022. Um, so we don't need to kind of pull anything from that. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's all that was just in, in the NDAA. Mm -hmm. Um, here we go. Uh, unclassified. I think that again is still the end of that. I, I just re would refer people to, to the NDAA or, or to go and look at that themselves. Uh, establishment of the office and duties based again on the NDAA and, and what they were, were asking them to do and develop. There's your key terms. Uh, the, it's interesting that top one there, range fowler, and then we happen to see the release of these. What well, I think was it seventy or ninety redacted range fowlers uh, appear yesterday, including the Nimitz and stuff. I found that really interesting. Uh, I had a brief look and couldn't really get much information out of them because of the heavily redacted areas. But it why is it? It just seems that we get things like all in a little bunch, and things seem to drop at the same time. It's it's strange. There we go. I think that is that. So is there anything anyone wants to say before I move on? Yeah, I, I would just say that um, just going back to the page where they say page, page five, where, where they say that um, do, 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 Arrow's initial analysis and characterization of the 366 newly identified reports informed by a multi-agency process, Judge more than half is exhibiting unremarkable characteristics. So it's very, very important because this is just initial analysis and characterization, as it says. Yeah. And then in the paragraph after that, it, um, it basically states that um, 
uh, it states that it hasn't been positively identified. Um, yeah, positive. Yeah, so initial characterization does not mean positively resolved or identified. So that's really, really important. Like Katie was saying before, that media tend to be quite lazy. So they'll just say, oh, yeah, more than half of them are balloons or drones <laughs> and stuff like that. So th that that's really, really important. Um, and I'll point back to the um, the case, the Omaha case off the West Coast that came out um, with the, the pyramid, as, as it's been said, um, drone or UAP or however you want to look at it. Um, I think there's still a lot to be said on, on that case. And as you would remember, um, Scott Bray and the DOD have stated that these things are um, unmanned aircraft systems. So I want to ask the question, I have asked the question, was this just an initial analysis and characterization of this case? And has it been positively resolved or identified? I think that's very, very important. I mean, if it is China, and you don't know where it came from, and you've not managed to um, find, you know, you've not managed to find the origin and prove that it's Chinese, that's really, really bad. And if it was the Chinese, this looks like really, really next gen technology, especially if the US can't explain it um, to start off with. I mean, it's only recently that they've said it, it's UAS, and we don't know if that's definitely UAS or not, but if it was their technology, why would they be flaunting it around the US fleets so that it could be shot down? Mm. I don't know. A lot of stuff still doesn't make sense to me. I mean, that's the tagline for this whole this whole discussion, right? A lot still doesn't make sense. I, I think that if I was a congressional staffer right now looking at this, I would see the number of reports in a single year and I would say there is no way they have enough resources to adequately investigate these cases because the positively identified caveat, I think, is really interesting for us because we're like, oh, great, they're not done. But in practicality, what that means is they're putting that on a shelf because they don't have the manpower to investigate every single case to its conclusion, right? I mean, if you're looking at 500 some odd cases a year, you're talking about multiple cases a day. Are you telling me that in a couple hours they're solving some of these really difficult cases? No way. And so what they're doing is they're putting them into a bucket and saying, okay, we think we know what these are. We can't say for sure, but we really need to focus on these ones that are really obvious and interesting. And in that process, we could be missing a lot of information. And so what I really see with this is a need for better appropriations, better manpower, um, expanded scope of authority if they show that they're doing their job diligently and um, honestly. And so if I was Arrow, I would be clamoring, telling Congress, give me more money, give me more staff, let us investigate this well, because this should be something that every defense official wants, expand my office. And so I, I hope that's what happens, but you know, if the goal isn't actually to be transparent and solve this, that'll become very obvious because any intelligence officer would look at this and go, we need better, better uh, analysis. Here, here. Yep. Very, very good. Very good point. Uh, before we move on to the slideshow, I'm just going to read out a couple of comments slash questions that I've collated from the live chat. First up, Jonathan Davis says, uh, I'd ignore this report. The next one is the first chance we get to see what this team will produce based on the new, more powerful congressional requirements. Absolutely. 
I think that, that, that that's yeah. really going to be the test, isn't it? Um, Lord Bass says, "Do you do you think they would admit if it were adversary?" Probably not. Not, not publicly. No, because that no. would say we can't control what's in our skies. We are not that good at defending the country. Uh, yeah, that's uh, interesting. Uh, next up, Susan Goff's time traveling agent says, has there been any information released on how long the classified report is? No, I have not heard how long it is. I've had a few conversations, but not about the length. So according, yeah, so according to the source that spoke with Josh, my memory is correct. I think it was double, at least double in terms of pages. I think it was like 20, 24. Okay, that's interesting. I need to have a look back at that and circle around, but I think uh, it was around that. Uh, Susan Goff's time traveling agents. Thank you for the kind donation. Yep, hit that like button and spread the news, indeed, people. And finally, echoes in loaf. I says, is the U.S. defense bill properly scrutinized or investigated? as the nuts and bolts. The way I see it is that there is funding going to certain groups who have all the answers. Uh, well, first of all, I would say the, the NDAA doesn't allocate funding. So that's an authorizations bill. Um, so that just allows these offices um, and um, uh, programs to exist. We need to look at the appropriations bill and see how much they're actually going to be given to carry this out. A very common trick in Washington is to say, sure, we'll start this office and then we'll give you $2 million to do it. Um, and that would be really, really obvious. So that's what I would pay attention to. Excellent. Right, before we do move on, I am just going to quickly read out Lou. Lou, was, uh, Lou Elizondo was kind enough to give me a, a quote regarding, uh, well, I guess, his views on, on the UAP report. So let me just bring that over. So Thanks thank you, Lou. Thanks for getting that, Vinny. I know it's... I, I, Lou is always very generous with his time and uh, providing me with, uh, you know, short videos or, or quotes. So, yeah, I really appreciate it. So Lou says, first of all, I would like to extend a thank you to Vinny and Chris for their tireless efforts involving this topic over the past few years. Thank you, Lou. And of course, a big thank you to your audience who continue to put pressure on our government to pursue this issue. People in high places are listening. This report is yet another incremental step forward towards real transparency. From 144 unknown events to now over 500, personally, I expect this trend to only increase with time. We must also remain vigilant and remind ourselves of what Chris Mellon said in his most recent article. The more we look up, the more things we are going to see. Some will have prosaic explanations, some won't. It is these that remain completely out of the realm of our current technology paradigm that we must focus on and not allow ourselves the temptation of writing off the truly unexamined as simply a mirage or atmospheric anomaly. I trust our pilots to win our wars. I also trust our pilots to tell the truth. Lastly, I trust our pilots know the difference between a seagull and something truly exotic. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Thank you, Lou, so much. So, yeah, what it's good to always to get say? a statement from Lou on his thoughts on what's happening. So, yeah, <laughs> that's great. Uh, right. So, you know, one thing I will say as well, the, the Chris Mellon's article was really interesting, pulling out his key takeaways. That is linked in the description for people to go and take a look at, as well as the couple of the videos that have cropped up with John Radcliffe, Andre Carson in the media the last day or two. Go and check those out. I was going to play them, but then I was worried about copyrights and all this. So mm -hmm. I just recommend people go and check them out for themselves and uh, take what you will from it because, it, you know, it was very interesting. 
let's move on to Kirkpatrick's slideshow. Uh, here we go. Uh, and this was a lot better. I can't remember if anyone can who he presented it to. I did have it written down, and I can't remember where I wrote it down. It was the a transportation, transportation group. Yeah. yeah. And so, some aviation as well, was it? A civil aviation group, maybe. Right. So, yes. Uh, I guess it really lays out Arrow maybe in an easier to understand uh, terminology compared to the uh, mishmash of the UAP reports. So, um, yeah, you guys, feel free if there's anything that jumps out to you. I did like on this that it really clearly did say anomalous spaceborne, airborne, seaborne, or transmedium, like just right in your face was just brilliant on the get-go. Um, I think Chris Mellon's really excited. He finally saw spaceborne. You yeah, know, he's been really hammering that for a while now, so it was nice to see. Um, and then also, you know, going on to say that something that's not attributable, attribute, attributable to known actors or causes. So, you know, really laying out that this is for genuine, unidentified anomalous objects. So, yeah, that's great. Um, and it says here, com complex hazards and threats across service, regional, and domain boundaries. Yeah, very interesting language. Uh, here we go. Next one again, guys. If there's anything you really want to uh, sort of pick out, please, I might miss it, so go ahead. Um, talking about characteristics, behavioral, technical, physical limitations. Yeah, it's I don't know what they mean by the disposition of observed phenomena. I mean, do they mean characteristics? I mean, because they that, that's not what they well, no, that's not what they mean because that's a separate bullet point in the very beginning so i want to know what the disposition is but it's nice in the vision to see that they're talking about greater transparency now does that mean greater transparency within the ic and the dod or outside <laughs> into public <laughs> i think that's keeping it internal still oh yeah <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely um do, 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 do. i would say that um where's it again sorry i, I got given slides from sue as well uh yeah i mean any assessed technological gap between the, the phenomena and the united states on page three mm -hmm. um in terms of vulnerabilities that's really really important and it was quite interesting because radcliffe when he was speaking today was saying that this is technology that we don't possess we, we need to know that um, he was questioning like the term foreign as well, whether that be a government or something else. It was like, okay, what do we mean by the definition of foreign now? Although I'd say in the report, it's made quite clear that it's foreign government, but um, it's another term to look out for in terms of them trying foreign to find technology. Mm -hmm. yeah. Foreign could be a synonym for alien. So. <laughs> <laughs> I thought this line was interesting where it says threats to the immediate safety of US citizens and government facilities across domains is priority. I mean, that's the first time I've ever seen them say anything about any kind of possible threat or lack of safety to general citizenship of, of a country. I mean, that's scary. Yeah. And what's really interesting is like coming from a military intelligence background, if they were talking about like military pilots or something like that, they would say service lovers. So the, the use of the term or warfighter or something like that, the use of the term citizen is very interesting. Mm, absolutely. Just address this, would you mind, Chris? Were these slides leaked as a counterpoint to the report? I mm. don't. 
So what happened was that he gave it, I think it was Wednesday that he gave the presentation. And I was like, yeah, I was trying to get in touch with the with the okay. organizers to see if I could perhaps watch it live. And then they were basically saying, oh, we're not doing it as a live stream. I was like, okay, cool. Um, and then I contacted Susan Goff for the slides, but I mean, Dean Johnson had already released them by the time um, Susan gave them to me. And unfortunately, they had no transcript for this event either, which is quite disappointing. But, you know, if there's anyone out there that was there for this event that wants to uh, talk to me, um, please come forward and, um, yeah, message me up on Twitter. Yeah, just to confirm, it was January the 11th, Wednesday the 11th, uh, I believe it was. Um yeah, Katie, there's that line that you were talking about earlier, the consequence of such moderate to high potentially leading to adversarial misattribution of UAP to the United States. So, yeah, that's... Yeah, uh, just... I mean, that could that could be catastrophic. I mean, mm. it, 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 we know that the UAP are coming into our country and buzzing nuclear ins installations. Imagine if they think that we're doing that in Iran, right? Or, or, or something like that. That would be very volatile and sensitive. Um, yeah, and then, and then that so, section of the... Sorry, go on. Sorry. No, no, no. Go for it. I just wanted to highlight that uh, below there in the bottom right where it says allies and strategic competitors apply resources to observe, identify, and attribute UAP. And that link there is actually a link to, to a Chinese site. So... <laughs> I yes. wouldn't click on that. <laughs> yeah, it, it's already thrown up a security warning, so I'm not going to yeah, do it no. right now. Mm -mm. No. But that was really that's the only link in the entire slideshow that you know external link and it's to Chinese yeah it's it's yeah makes you ask a lot of questions yeah um, if, I, if I was well, a lobbyist I'd be looking at how much money the Chinese are putting onto this and I would go to the members of Congress and say oh you really want to spend less than Chinese are spending on this that would be my strategy so I I, I don't know if we if we have information on what the dollar sign is behind the Chinese effort, but that's an easy way to get uh, members of Congress <laughs> on your side. That's yeah. awesome. brilliant. Absolutely, yeah. I think um, China calls are unidentified, is it like air conditions? Um, yeah, unidentified air conditions. That's how the Chinese refer to it as the People's Liberation Army. No connection to Liberation Times, by the way. Uh, <laughs> that's really interesting. But I mean, um, I wrote an article on, fri on Friday, so apparently tomorrow the decision is going to be made in terms of the, um, the, the UN decision for San Marino, whether they press ahead with it, which should be quite exciting. Mm -hmm. and, um, this whole effort can, can trace its origins in China because in 2018, a bunch of like Chinese researchers, for some reason, decided to do these huge like um, symposiums on on UFOs. Um, one being held in I think it's Chongqing, um, China, and the other in Moscow and Russia. And it was kind of like a joint kind of like Russian Chinese initiative. And, I mean, That's I looked. Terrifying. Yeah, I looked on the footage. You can find it online. I, I'm hoping it's still there. But you can see like the one in Moscow and. You got a whole bunch of like military in there, like soldiers, um, with their uniforms on, and they've got um, they've got Russian cosmonauts present as well, and they've got big industries and represent, you know, representatives there from from tr different fate, um, trade federations and stuff. And um, it was a really big, well organized thing. And um, what they did was they got lots of representatives from different countries, like Gary Hesseltine from 
the UK, for example, I think they, they brought him over for one of the events. And the plan was to have a third um, event in Heze in China. Um, and the plan was at that event to actually come up with a plan and coordinate going to the United Nations to get this brought up to the UN. And this is crazy because, as you would know, like nothing in China happens if you don't have the um, if, if you don't, exactly if, if if you don't have the government saying it's okay, then you can't do it. So I just thought it was really interesting, and all of a sudden this thing just fell away. Um, so I think there's a big un undercurrent of um, of interest in China, which is yeah, which may be bigger than some of us may may realize. Well, and honestly, like I'm, I'm shocked by that. I'm shocked that the Chinese and the Russians want to take this to the UN, um, because I know that, like in the US, for example, while there may be um, positives to going to the UN and sharing information with our allies and whatnot, there's going to be a big group of people that say, "No, we're not sharing any information with anyone we don't want to." You know that that loses our strategic advantage. Um, so, yeah, I'm really interested in what the Chinese and Russians think they can gain from that. You know, like what's what's their end game? Is it is it truly just oh yeah, we want to be partners with everyone and get the information? I don't know, um, but I would be a little skeptical. I'm always a little skeptical of these things, um, but it'll be interesting to see. That's not to say that I don't think the UN initiative is a good idea. I think it's a great idea, um, but I think everyone's going to come to that with different motivations and different expectations of what they get out of it. Yeah, yeah no, definitely. Now, this page really stood out to me a few points. In that first box there, it's talking about capability, capabilities for optimized cross-functional UAP detection, tracking, mitigation, and recovery. Uh, mm -hmm. So, of course, that really screamed you know, recovery of UAP. Okay, okay. Okay, okay, yeah. okay. Uh, mm -hmm. Probably done it before. <laughs> Maybe. Um, we'll yeah, see. you never know. Um and then the second one, revealing and exploiting elusive and enigmatic signatures through advanced mm. technologies, which is, you know, exploiting. Hmm. Yes, that's, that's, that's really, really interesting. <clears throat> I mean, um, one of the first articles on Liberation Times was, um, was done by Bob Pliskin, who's a former um, Marine intelligence officer and that was all about signature management. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that that's really, really interesting. It was kind of like, um, I think on the East Coast, if you if you look at what's out there in terms of public information, it seemed as though that there was a certain degree of si signature management taking place that we couldn't explain. Um, so yeah, that that's, that's really, really interesting there. And if you're getting into it from an intelligence perspective that's one of like the key the key things um because in the last report it said the uap tf tf holds a small amount of data that appear to show uap um demonstrating ex acceleration or degree of signature management so mm -hmm. yeah signature management is basically um, used in the military and defense context. A signature would be any manner of identification that can be detected by an adversary. Um, so an example would be considered a signature, for example, um, that would be a radar cross-section, active mm. or passive signals emitted 
infrared emissions or even distinctions that can be seen visually, meaning an identification can be made. And um, by the way, those are not my own words. Those are Bob Pistons. <laughs> I'm not that intelligent. <laughs> so no, no. So that that I, I think that's like a really, really important um, thing to kind of like hone in on. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and then on this next box, the interdisciplinary analysis, you know, talking about peer reviewed conclusions uh, using the scientific and intelligence method. I mean, that's what we always want, isn't it? We want peer reviewed work to be done on this subject. And, you know, that's. Just... Well, and I want to know where is that going to be published? Is it just yeah. going to be internal in the US government? That's what I assume. But I would love to see a legitimate journal, you know, like let's, let's, because that's how good science is done. Um, you know, we've talked about this a lot, uh, but we have to be able to use our scientific resources in this country. We have some of the best scientists in the world and we're not utilizing their expertise because we're not allowing this process to actually go through peer review, which strengthens our assessment and our analysis of capabilities. Yeah, absolutely. And then in this last box, the thing, the two small parts that stood out to me were obviously transparency, building trust and transparency. But the fact that it mentions oversight authorities, you know, it's nice to know that they're aware that there are people looking over their shoulder and breathing down their necks, you know, <laughs> that, that, that really is important. So, yeah, what a great page that is. Yeah, absolutely. Right, and then this next one is obviously talking about educating aviators uh, and, and crews. So... The fact that it's talking about sharing UAP data, you know, uh, with aviators, it's like, like, this is what you've got to look out for and showing them like really interesting stuff like that, that, you know, that's kind of what I gleaned from that. Uh, just obviously help them identify and report things better, uh, encouraging reporting, destigmatizing. These are all buzzwords that we like to hear, but I still, for some reason, a part of me is still not convinced over, over the, you know, in the grand scheme of things. What do you guys think? Yeah, yeah, I think there's questions over this. I mean, there's two distinct things that are happening at the moment. Obviously, Kirkpatrick is focusing here in his presentation about the active investigation, um, which is ongoing in terms of events that are being reported. But there's a there's another stream of things. So even if you're not totally won over by this, the whistleblower stuff is going to be huge. I, I mean... You've got Chris Mellon, someone of his position, using those last lines when he's talking about his key takeaways from this report, stating that you know he knows of a number of um, you know whistleblowers basically who are coming forward that know a lot about the crash retrieval programs potentially um, uh, and reverse engineering programs. So, so that that's really really huge. So I think my key takeaway for anyone who feels that look do anything it's going nowhere well firstly it's been taken out of OUSDINS from a certain extent which is great news which is Thank brilliant yeah. <laughs> exactly um and you know secondly i think we've got this other thing which could blow a lid on this whole thing in terms of the whistleblower stuff yeah i mean melon actually used the words alien technology i do believe as well he did. Um, he's getting excited, isn't he? <laughs> he's getting excited. Yeah, uh, I just he's getting excited. Sorry, but he's also he's also very very cautious in his yeah. wording, and he doesn't he doesn't throw around a word without thinking about it and thinking about the ramifications of it. So I think that's important. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It's like Chris Mellon is someone who is 
probably written a few of these similar reports like this before, you know, that go to like the, the top of the top in terms of like presidents and stuff like that. So his wording, the way that he's been trained, you have to always take that into context. And um, yeah, so like Katie said, it's hugely important, the words that he chooses. Yeah, absolutely. Just wanted to highlight this comment from JD. He says, the UAP JIATF was much more informative compartment. I wonder if Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick has read into it. SecDef and Comustratcom were. Hmm, that JIATF cropped up, I think it was towards the end of last year, and I can't remember where, but it's interesting to know how much Kirkpatrick has been brought up to speed as someone new to the study of UAP and running an office about on UAP. What's What historical stuff have they shared or or maybe more the question is what has he actually caught up with if he's been handed a whole lot of stuff and he's had a limited time to look into it i think that's really a, a point we should be considering as well yeah that was, yes that was like what lou elizondo um was quoted as saying um in my most recent story um so it was like now that arrow is no longer under the chain of command of my old office, the OUSDI, I would support increased authorities to Dr. Kirkpatrick in order to identify all US government equities, both past and present, who may have been slash are involved in UAP studies. So yeah, you're definitely on the right lines there. Yeah, and JD, go on. I was just going to say, he's just clarified that the JIATF was the Navy Compartment mm. from Submarine Census. So thank you, JD. Sorry, yeah, I would say that the no, no, I would say that the 2023 NDAA, um, I believe it was this year, that assigned the uh, Aero Authority directly to DepSec, uh, DepSecDef, Kathleen Hicks. I'd say that is very uh, indicative of the fact that he hopefully is getting that. Um, Kathleen Hicks is one smart cookie, and she doesn't take a lot of shit. Um, so, you know, I, if there was anyone that this office should report to, I am absolutely thrilled that it's her. Brilliant. Yeah, like similar things. She's great. Yeah. Here we go then. What kind of information would be necessary and sufficient for UAP analysis? So this is great how it breaks down the multi kind of the different angles that they can collect data to look at and analyze. And the interesting thing that is in the UAP report, it did say in one of the parts that it seemed that there was not enough data or information to do a, you know, a good analysis on it. But I think that there, there probably is, you know, they've got the witnesses, they've got the sensor data because sensors was mentioned so many times in that report, but it was skipped over. It was just, yeah, sensors and da, 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 da. And, you know, I think the fact that they're talking about sensors so much, they must have so much information, but this is good. And then again, about the observer, we're talking about uh, psycho uh, physiological, psychological or other effects apparently corresponding to the UAP observation. So they're definitely highlighting the health effects here. There must be something to it. You know, it's not just a, a what if. Yeah. There's no health effects, but report all the health effects. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. The indifferent stuff is quite, quite interesting because you'll remember with the... Um, the, the Nimitz case, Kevin Day basically said that they acted as if they wanted nothing to do with us. Um, and it looks as though, like on the East Coast as well, that, you know, that they don't, that they seem quite indifferent, these objects. Um, although from a sense of uh, relating to signature management, um, I think it was Chad Underwood that says you can see cues of jamming on both your radar and your FLIR tape, which is quite interesting as well. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And I think, that, you know, we could literally break down this page, but we're not, I'm not going to go into every point, but this, this UAP behavior indicating whether it is uh, apparent intelligent control, response to observation, which is very mm -hmm. interesting, uh, observer, uh, yeah, re response to observation and or observer presence and apparent indications of indifference or hostility. I mean, yeah, all of those little points are just so valid and so important. So, I mean, yeah, it's just it's such a, a rich slideshow. And again, guys, the report and this slideshow, uh, if you haven't got them already, you, the uh, links are in the description of this video for you yourselves to go and uh, print out, like Katie says, read each line and peruse and <laughs> form your own conclusions. And, you know, that that's the end of the slideshow. But, you know, again, it's just so interesting that the, the two documents are, are so different in their, their kind of writing and scope. Uh, so, yeah. Um, do you think there's anything we haven't touched upon that's worth mentioning that's maybe just come out of this week? Anything that's said in the media? Please go for it. Andre Carson, man. Dropping <laughs> drop that, that word. Um, I think it's very interesting that we're now talking about debris. And you said the debris wasn't interesting, which wasn't notable or notable notably right? alarming, notably alarming. so what do you think of that being used notably alarming what in the world is it then because if it's not notably alarming it's probably not uap it means we know what it is right so like i have that just doesn't make any sense to me and i also want to know who cleared him to talk about that because that is a huge admission that we have some sort of debris of something yeah, absolutely. So if you saw something that they got from Roswell like decades ago, it's like, oh yeah, we pulled this out. Would you be notably alarmed knowing that it's been in possession for decades? Well, no, I wouldn't yes. because it's not going to do anything to us. I'm not alarmed that it, oh my God, I, I, what's it going to do? It's not, Two senses there, isn't there? From a congressional standpoint, in terms of you've not told us, that's alarming. You've not told us. But Very then alarming. he said, like, well, you've had it for decades. So it's not I don't know. That's the, that's how I saw it in that way. It's not he's not we're not alarmed by it because we're not worried about what it's going to do or any implications from that aspect. So, and I've seen this on social media today since posting that video that so many people are reading these short quotes from these uh, important people and really coming up with absolute opposites depending how you see it. And so that's funny that Katie and I both just did exactly the same thing there. And it just goes to see that when they're not using really defined phrases and words and they they are being vague that it can be interpreted and this is where we where we end up i suppose yeah i mean if i was still in dc i would just be showing up in his office right now and i would seriously and i'd just be sitting down with his his defense and intelligence staffer and saying so what was that about you know and I, maybe maybe that's what we need maybe we need someone to start the phone calls and just ask for clarification you know pepper them every day with tens of phone calls until they issue a clarification. Because that's a that's a pretty remarkable thing to say, whether you're claiming it was notable or not. Mm. I'm going to do that right now. I'm going to get in touch with his press person do and it. ask him to define no to be alarming. But from my you know knowledge... what? I'll do the same thing. I'll do the same thing. I'll get <laughs> off and I'm going to call his office and say, I would like an explanation of what debris you mean. <laughs> <laughs> amazing amazing but this is the thing you know these people are put onto these like fox news cnn and all it'll take is one slip up from one of these people and like we're we, we can latch onto something really meaty you know mm -hmm. so let's hope that we get that soon it's um, kind of like when joe biden accidentally um led the charge into making gay marriage illegal you know sometimes a little slip 
actually results in policy. You know, it, it has happened before, it can happen again. So yeah, let's get that um, debris info. Yeah, it was good to have that, to a certain extent, confirmation, let's say, if it is the case, because I've been told that, you know, there's been multiple testimonies from people allegedly involved with these um, programs and that they have provided verifiable information. Look, as I've said before, the, the Senate Intel Committee doesn't wake up one day and said, you know what, I'm going to get my pen right here. I'm going to start drafting this language about UFO whistleblower language. That doesn't come from nowhere. I mean, they've had had a good reason to do it, and they have. They, they've been talking to these people behind the scenes for a long time now, and um, that's where this language has come from. And you know what? Only more whistleblowers have come forward, and they continue to come forward from what I am hearing from what's going on behind the scenes. And I think sooner or later, a decision will have to be made from Congress. If it if they are if they are if they are happy that this information is correct, and they've got all the answers that they've asked, at which at what point do they decide, okay, do we go public about this? And if we do, to what extent do we go public about this? Do we go public about these programs? Do we go public about apparent non-human intelligence? How is all that handled? Mm. They're the big questions, aren't they? That's what needs to be worked out. But it feels good that we're getting there. We heard Gary Nolan speaking, I think, yesterday or the day before. He's aware of three people who have yeah. already testified, and these are not people we're familiar with in the UFO community. These would probably be people associated with legacy programs to some degree. So, I mean, that's very encouraging. I don't want it to be just UFO talking no. heads all the time. You know, no. that, that's not what we want. So, yeah, I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged. Well, yeah, I think we've covered everything there. I mean, we could really dive, delve deeper and deeper, but, you know, I think we've covered the basics. And like Katie has said, you know, go out there, read these things for yourself, make your own conclusions, draw your own opinions. And and I think that is definitely best because then we can all come together and have these conversations online about the different thoughts on it and putting our heads together may help us come to more understandings and, and things. Maybe not, but it can't hurt. Uh, I just want to give a shout out to everyone in the live chat. Uh, Kay Kara here with the £20 donation. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Um, I don't, you know, beg for these things. Uh, so I really do appreciate everything that you guys donate to the work that, that I do because it all really helps. Um, Katie, Chris, thank you so much. Um, I do, I suppose I should have to give a, a, a good shout out to my friend Lou Elizondo again for being so um, free with his time for me to speak about the report. And yeah, guys, thank you so much for being here. I really, really do value your input. It really does mean uh, the world to me as does your friendship. So thank you so much. Likewise. so yeah guys everyone in the live chat again thank you so much i'm going to be back on wednesday with tom reed to talk about his uh work in the ufo field his sighting and more so yeah come and find me on wednesday hang out in the live chat and uh until then i'll see you soon take care goodbye